You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee. Welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and you know, this summer has held many twists and turns for the economy and for our finances. We saw record inflation rates, market volatility, we've had recession fears, and global political concerns. And with the turmoil this summer and what it's brought, it's clear how important it is to take a moment to reflect on what matters to you, the fun times you've had, and the joys that retirement can bring. Given recent financial news, it's increasingly likely, I think, that a recession in some form or another is coming for the U.S. economy and possibly the globe. We just don't know when, and and it's not a certainty, but I think it's becoming more likely. It's not easy navigating a rocky economy But it's not impossible either, and it's achievable to live the retirement you've dreamed of despite these adverse factors. And you can retire in a recession with proper planning. With a sturdy yet flexible financial plan, I think you can successfully adjust your plan when the market and economy change, such as what we're seeing right now, and even find time to discuss a new or discover a new hobby or an activity that enriches your life. So today, if you have questions how to strategize and optimize your retirement, you're in the right place. In today's show, uh, I'm going to talk about the newly passed Inflation Reduction Act, which was passed uh, about a week and a half ago. We're going to talk about stock indexes, how they work. Some are weighted, some are not weighted, and how could that affect you? I'm going to talk about what's involved with selling your house. That's a question that comes up a lot for me, especially with the increase in home values and what is the capital gains tax exposure. We'll also talk about what are retirees doing now, today? What are they doing for activities and and keeping themselves busy? So it'll it'll be an interesting show. Um, Let's dive into the Inflation Reduction Act. This was passed Tuesday a week and a half ago. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, you know, this is the first time we've had a chance to really discuss much coming out of Washington, D.C. With all the gridlock, uh, we haven't really had much new come out. Uh, But President Biden signed into law the Inflation Reduction Act, and in... In layman's terms, this is a scaled-back version of the Build Back Better plan. Uh, I even uh, have heard the expression Build Back Smaller because it is a much scaled-back version of the Build Back Better plan uh, in what Democrats had been trying to push through Congress over the past year. Uh, I don't think, first off, the the name matches the legislation. 
this bill really doesn't have hardly anything at all to do with inflation. So inflation will likely be more influenced by monetary policy and the money supply growth or contraction of the money supply, which is what we're actually seeing right now, than it will this act. Uh, so, you know, they've, they've slapped a label on it, as is true with everything coming out of Washington, whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans. Uh, so many things are politically motivated. And so that's a catchy name for a bill. But the reality is it has almost, it has, it has very, very little to do with inflation. Uh, now, most of the provisions of the bill, there are five primary ones. One is an extension of existing health insurance subsidies through 2025. Uh, there is a price control being placed on prescription drugs starting in 2026. There is an expansion of renewable energy spending via tax credits. So this was a big part of where this was going is the investment into renewable energy. There is a new 15% minimum corporate tax rate. There's also a 1% buyback tax on, on corporate stock buybacks. And there is more funding for the IRS. Those are the five key elements. So what does this really mean for you and me? That's really what we want to want to focus on. In the healthcare world, the emphasis on the pricing of prescription drugs could be meaningful over time. Now again, it doesn't go into effect until 2026. And initially it will impact the higher cost and older drugs. Now then from there, the process ramps up quickly with 90 to 100 drugs that will see prices pushed down between 40 and 60 percent by 2031. Okay, now from a market perspective, I find it interesting that the SMIDCAT Biotech Inter Index, which you know is largely uh, influenced by pharma, pharma, big pharma and biotechnology, uh, it outperformed the overall market as the odds of the passage of this bill increased. And, you know, I, we, could, we could make assumptions as why that is. I think ultimately it lays groundwork for more mergers and acquisitions activity. It's just a little bit of a side note there. But what does that mean? I mean, it does mean that prescription drug costs over the coming decade, let's say, because it's not going to happen right away, but over the coming decade, especially for retirees, we expect to come down and we expect it to potentially impact things like your Medicare premium for Part B and for Part D for the drug costs. Uh, now that is at a, at a, at a, you know, is there a potential tax cost? We, we really don't know long term, um, you, you know, Anytime you have anything that's going to affect corporate America, does that end up in, does that ultimately impact you and me? And, and I think the, the answer is yes, because those tax increases get ultimately passed down to the end consumer because, I, I mean, somebody's got to pay for it, right? And the companies still want to be profitable and companies still have a mandate to make money for their stockholders. And so they don't want to decrease their margins. So if their taxes go up or if 
pricing goes down on some prescription drugs, what does that mean? You know, what are the unintended consequences? So I guess that's yet to be seen, what those unintended consequences are. Uh, but certainly get our, getting our arms around prescription drug, drug costs could be a good thing. Now, on renewable energy, there are, you know, residential energy tax credits for doing things uh, in the home. There's also uh, incentives for solar, wind, and energy storage development. There's an expansion of the tax credit for new vehicles that uh, is kind of measured in two ways, well, three ways, really. One is the, is the car new or used, uh, is, is it, and then there's a part for batteries, and then there's a separate part uh, for things like critical materials, minerals, things like that that are needed to, uh, you know, to, 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 to make those electric vehicles function. Um, so, you know, then they've got the, the, the change in tax rates potentially for corporations. And, you know, in terms of the, the long-term impact, this is the thing I'm most interested in because the 15% minimum tax really hits a small number of companies. Uh, it's essentially about a 4% increase in the effective tax rate in 2023 for corporate America. Now, one of the most impacted companies will be Amazon. But, you know, with this minimum tax, I guess one question is, where does it go from here? Uh, and that would be another question to ask with this 1% buyback tax on companies that buy back their own stock. And I don't want to get too complicated today, but, you know, this is kind of a big deal because our tax rates, you know, are built, you know, when companies make money, and, and this is very important for investors to understand, because when companies make money, the question is, what do they do with their corporate profits? Do they pay it out to the shareholders in a dividend? Do they... Do they pay it out? You know, if you own mutual funds and you have capital gain distributions every year in December based on a lot of buying and selling and trading, do companies, instead of, you know, if they're not paying out dividends, they may be investing for growth and not pay dividends at all, but then they may buy back stock. And so there's big differences in how potentially and how all of these types of things are taxed to you as an investor. You know, up until... I believe it was 2003, uh, dividends were taxed differently. They were taxed as ordinary income, and so there was preferable tax treatment for capital gains as opposed to uh, dividends. And so there was a steady decline in the, in the dividends that corporate America would pay because of uh, uh, you know, tax treatment that was not advantageous. And so in 2003, you know, qualified dividends were equalized to pay, to be taxed at the same rate as long-term capital gains. So the reason I bring this up is now if you're going to have a 1% tax on corporations that buy back their stock, this could affect how companies choose to handle their corporate profits. And as an investor, that's an important thing to be aware of. And I do think, as I mentioned on the 15% corporate income tax, 
this kind of lays a foundation and a structure where now we have this tax, where is it going to go from here? And that's what happens when we open up Pandora's box for new taxes. It's not just what is the tax next year and the year after and the year after that, but this lays a foundation potentially for more taxation. And then as I mentioned, ultimately those tax increases are passed on to the consumer and really, frankly, the middle class. So it's just something we have to watch and bear in mind. Now, what does this mean for you, all of this? In the short term, I don't think it means a whole lot. You know, once 2025 comes around, many people will see start to see hopefully lower pricing in Part B and Part D on their Medicare. Um, you know, on the share buybacks, it's a very small tax now. Uh, but then where does it go and will it affect the middle class? Then with the extra emphasis on funding for IRS, how does that affect tax enforcement? Does that focus on high income earners or does that focus on everyone? So I think in the ultimate near term, it really doesn't really make any impact. It's what happens three, four years from now and what happens in the long term and how does that affect the investment world, corporate taxation, how does that then flow down through to you and me. All of that's kind of yet to be determined and is kind of out into the future. So hopefully that helps uh, because, you know, I think it's important that when new legislation is passed, we kind of can get our arms around, okay, what's actually in this new legislation? And as I have said in the past on this show, anytime Congress puts a label on something, be very, very wary of the label because the label is so politically motivated and oftentimes the intent or what the bill is actually going to do really doesn't have much to do with the label. And in this case, this is not, I mean, inflation has next to nothing, very, very little to do with what this bill is really structured to be able to do. Okay, we're going to get to our first break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about understanding stock indexes and what it means for your portfolio. They may be more complicated. Do you really understand how they work and what your risk exposure could actually be with a reliance on stock indexing? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in this week to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. You can catch us every Saturday here on News Talk 98.7. We're on from 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m., if you've missed part of the show or you'd like to listen to some old shows, uh, we have all of our shows podcast at our website, broganfinancial.com. Click on radio. We also have them indexed by category. 
uh, and our dollars and cents segments are indexed by category, you know, whether it's estate planning or the economy or income planning, social security election, whatever, uh, you can, it, they're, they're all catalogs, so you can be very efficient in listening to content that you would like to listen to. You can at, also catch our podcast at YouTube. Um, you've probably heard of stock indexes like the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, or the NASDAQ 100 composite. And nowadays, virtually all retirees have some sort of exposure to these indexes in their portfolios. And although they, you know, are somewhat diversified, the way they're offered to you, either through mutual funds or exchange-traded funds, they do come in many different varieties. They have different limitations, they offer different benefits. They certainly have different risks. So let's, let's kind of talk about index investing in terms of understanding the underlying indexes. Now, the most common index that we're aware, that we know of, or most of us talk about, is the S&P 500. I guess the Dow Jones Industrial Average, kind of right there, one and two. Let's talk about the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is an index made up of the 500 largest U.S. companies. And what's very, very important to understand about the S&P 500, it, it is a weighted index. And that is an ex, a very, very critical thing to understand. Uh, and it's become more and more important to understand that in the last five years. What that means is, you know, the, the S&P 500, it's not equally an equally weighted index. And so, in other words, the largest company in the United States economy, the largest companies have a bigger impact on how that index works and how it moves day to day. So it's not, you know, each company has one five hundredth of an impact. So what's happened over the last five years is that index has become much more heavily correlated with technology and growth stocks because the largest companies in our economy, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Netflix, Facebook, you know, they are very technology-oriented and they've grown so much, they've become the largest companies in our country. And then because they're capitalization meaning the size if you take when you talk about a cap you know like the capitalization of a company look at their total number of outstanding shares times their total number times their stock price and and they've become so dominant in, in how big they are they're driving the index and it used to be up until several years ago you know the Dow Jones and the and the S&P 500 were not completely in lockstep the way they move day to day, but they were pretty highly correlated. Now, they're not nearly as correlated. I mean, we've had days where one of those indexes has been up and the other one has been down. And the reason is because of the heavy weight of the, those technology companies. So those have been great the last five years up until this year. But then when markets are volatile and choppy and when they correct, those technology and growth-oriented stocks have more potential for downside risk. That is something at its core that you need to fundamentally understand about the S&P 500. 
Now, what a, now? But by the way, you can buy an equal weighted S&P 500 index fund where all 500 stocks have an equal impact on the movement of that index. It's just called an S&P equal weighted index. Now, there's other risks that come with that. You've got the 500th largest co uh, you know, company, which is more of a mid-sized company, impacting that index as much as Amazon. So there are risks to that, too. Uh, now, what about the Dow Jones Industrial Average? The Dow Jones is an index of 30 stocks, non-transportation and non-utility companies, and they have qualitative factors to be in that index. And they, those factors basically indicate stability uh, in businesses with longevity. So the, a stock is typically added to the Dow only if the company has an excellent reputation, demonstrates sustained growth, and is of interest to many investors. Now with the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it is not an equally weighted index as well. Uh, so every company does not have the same impact. And it's actually even simpler. Uh, it, it's not based on the size of the company. It's based on the price of the stock. So a stock that has, because they literally add up all of all the stock prices for all 30 companies and divide by 30. So a stock with a, with a price of $250 a share has a bigger impact on that index than a stock with a price of $70 a share. And that's important to note as well because, you know, the stock price alone of a company doesn't really indicate, you, you know, how good that stock is. And in today's world where you don't have to buy stock in, in lots of 100 shares, I mean, you can buy one share of a stock. Uh, very efficiently and pretty easily, especially for stocks that are traded uh, at high volumes. And so really doesn't have much of an impact on corporate profitability. Uh, so, you know, that's important to note too, is a, a company with a higher stock price is going to have a bigger impact on the movement of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Then we have the NASDAQ 100 composite, which is the top 100, you know, it's 100 companies listed with the NASDAQ stock exchange. So it tends to skew to technology-related companies. So when I said earlier that it's, you know, the S&P 500 has become more correlated to technology stocks because of the weighting of those top companies, Amazon, Netflix, Apple, you know, all those uh, it is it has become more correlated with the NASDAQ. Uh, so it's important to understand how does the index you're investing in actually work and what are the risks and limitations of that index, but then also what are, what are the advantages of index investing? So let's get into that for a minute. And how can you do index investing? You know, the two most common ways to do index investing, one would be to invest in an index mutual fund. And so the the mutual fund would just track the you know they're just they're investing to try to mimic the return of that stock index. So they're going to be highly highly correlated, usually 99.8% correlated. Uh, the, the 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 more common the index, the more correlated they're going to be. So with an S&P 500 index fund, it'll be 99. 
99.7, correlated to the S&P 500. Okay, now if you get into uh, index, you know, a small cap value index that invests in value companies that are small companies, you know, that correlation may drop a little bit. But an exchange, tra uh, excuse me, a mutual fund is, is investing to track that index. Now then an exchange traded fund is another way, an ETF, those are traded, they look kind of like a mutual fund, but they trade on the market like a stock throughout the day. As a rule, I prefer ETFs to mutual funds because of the ease of trading. You know, a mutual fund, when you buy or sell it, you actually don't know the price because it's bought or sold based on the price at the end of the day. And you, can, you have to put in your price before the, you have to put in your sale or your purchase before the end of the day. An ETF sells on the market immediately, so you know the price you're going to get, whether you're buying it or selling it. Also, in the movement uh, to reduce fees, no-load brokerage firms like Charles Schwab and TD Ameritrade and Fidelity and, and some of these other companies, those are the three largest, uh, you know, they don't charge a transaction fee for an exchange-traded fund because it trades like a stock. But they do trade charge transaction fees for many mutual funds. Uh, but... That doesn't mean mutual funds are bad ways to invest in indexes. It just means ETFs have some advantages in trading. They do have some potential disadvantages too. So, uh, but, but those are typically the easiest ways to invest in index funds. Now, then the other thing we kind of get into is, well, index investing versus managed funds. So active investment, which is a managed fund, where you have a manager deciding to buy or sell a stock based on their opinion of whether that stock will make money consistent with the objectives of the mutual fund or the ETF. And then you have, so those are active funds, and then you have passive funds, which are index funds. Uh, they both have their advantages and disadvantages. Uh, index funds have lower fees. They typically have lower tax implications to hold them. Now, in an IRA or 401k, you're really not worried about that because you're in a tax shelter. But in a non-IRA investment account, you should be worried about or considering the tax implication of an investment. And they, as a rule, are more tax efficient. However, there's no management for choppy markets. And from my vantage point, there are pros and cons to both. Uh, unfortunately, in what I've seen, seems like most investment people out there say, oh, you should do, everybody should do an index investing, and then others say, oh, only use managed funds. I mean, there are pros and cons to both. There are advantages and disadvantages to both. Why not consider all of that stuff? Why would you focus just on one type of an investment option in a very challenging economic environment. I, I think you need a lot of those kind of things. So don't be limited in what you want to invest in or what you want to use to try to achieve your goals because they all it, there's no perfect investment. Everything can have advantages and disadvantages. The other thing I will say is the way most investment professionals use index funds, they're using passive funds, but they're actively managing those passive funds, meaning they buy a mixture of several index funds and they're constantly buying and selling them. Well, that's 
starting to look more like active investing to me. You've got uh, somebody making decisions on buying and selling things based on some sort of criteria, in this case, probably market and economic criteria. Well, that's active investing. Now, granted, it potentially keeps fees down because index funds have lower fees than managed funds, uh, whether it's mutuals or ETFs. But in terms of the active versus passive argument and taxation argument, if you've got a lot of trading going on with your index funds, it's really not passive investing. That's active investing. So just be careful with those types of things. They all have advantages and disadvantages. To me, an investment professional, a financial planning professional, should be focusing on one thing, helping you meet your goals, and using funds as tools to help you get there. And there's advantages and disadvantages to any type of a tool that we might could use. That's what unbiased, objective uh, fiduciary advice should look like. Fiduciary means someone's acting solely in your best interest, helping you achieve your goals. Uh, that is what we do at Brogan Financial. If you'd like more information or you would like to schedule a consultation, you can call us at 865-862-6800, or you can visit us online, broganfinancial.com. Now, when we come back, what is involved with selling your house? That is a question I have been getting a lot as we have seen such a historic rise in home and real estate prices. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Hey, um, I do want to mention my next class is retirement income planning and it is this tuesday it is a one-night class august the 30th at pellissippi state community college out at hardin valley uh, it is 39 dollars through the through pellissippi state uh, and in one two-hour session i cover all the key things you need to know about or that begin to know about let's say that uh, in order to address what I consider the most overlooked area of retirement planning, and that's income planning. That includes Social Security election. It includes not only how much income you can draw from your savings, but where from and how. How do you protect, how, how do you retire in a recessionary economy, if that's where we're headed? Uh, I think with a good plan, you can do it, if you know how to sequence your income properly where you don't depend on the stock market or the economy for short-term income. Now, likewise, in increasing interest rates, you know, they could be a good thing for retirees in some ways because you can earn more on fixed-rate investments. 
Now, not a good thing on equity investing if the markets are going down, but there can be advantages if they're utilized properly. We also get into the tax effect of income planning in retirement. So for more information, you can go to my website at broganfinancial.com and click on classes. And then my next class at the University of Tennessee is Financial Survival for Retirement. It's on September 20th and 27th. Uh, you, can go to you can go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com uh, to download a syllabus. All of our classes are listed at our website on the classes page, again, at broganfinancial.com. Now, what are the tax implications of selling your personal residence? I have been asked this more in the last six months than I have probably in my entire career up until this time, and it's because of the incredible escalation in home values in the last several years. So let's just kind of review this. If you're selling your primary residence, potentially you get a tax break. The potentially is if you've lived there for two out of the last five years. And literally, that means 370 days. Okay, no, no, I'm sorry. 500, can't even do my math. That's 530 days, 265 times 2. So 530 days. Uh, it could be any 530 days within that five-year time frame. It does not have to be consecutive. That's the rule. And if you do that, there's some forgiveness for capital gains tax treatment. Basically, if you're a single filer, the first $250,000 of long-term capital gain is not taxed. You get an exemption of that amount. If you're joint filers, it is $500,000. That is exempted from capital gains tax. But you have to have been there for two of the last five years. Also, to get long-term capital gains tax treatment, remember, you have to live that you have to own it for more than a year. And that's an important distinction because otherwise it would be taxed as ordinary income. Okay, so I've run into more situations, though, recently where you're getting more than those exemptions. You're getting more than a $250,000 gain or more than a $500,000 gain with the escalation in real estate prices, whether that's a home here or a condo at the beach or whatever. So now, again, it does have to be your primary residence where it was your you lived there for two of the last five years. So first off, so, so what does that really mean? Well, first off, your cost basis, what you have invested in the house is important. That is what you paid for the house plus any home improvement. So it's important that you're tracking and keeping a record of any home improvements because that adds to what you paid for the house and therefore decreases the amount of the capital gain. So very important to track all that. Now, then what if you have a rental home and you want to sell it, and it has a big capital gain. Well, if you live in it for seven, 530 days out of the last five years, you can, it can be your primary residence. So in other words, you could move into that home for two years as your primary residence and potentially sell it and get that either $250,000 or $500,000 exemption from the capital gains exposure. So there are a lot of things you can look at. Now, what you cannot do is you cannot do a 1031 exchange 
with your primary residence, as your primary residence. So in other words, a 1031 exchange, many of you who invest in real estate know exactly what I'm talking about, is where you take an investment property or, or a business property and you, you want to sell it and avoid the gain, you do a like-kind exchange, meaning you sell it, then buy a new property, and you kind of defer that long-term capital gain. You cannot do that with your primary residence. Now, one option would be to convert your primary residence into a business or investment property and then look at doing a 1031 exchange. That starts to get complicated as to whether or not you can take advantage of that 1031 exchange rule. On that one, I'll say, and really on all of this with your house, always talk to a tax professional. But you need to understand the potential tax exposure because you're, you're actually supposed to file a information about a home sale. And many times your title company may report that home sale to the IRS. So you're supposed to report what it was sold for and what your cost basis was and what your capital gains exposure is. So be sure that you're talking to your tax professional about all this stuff. You know, what type of a home improvement qualifies? Because you, you just have to be careful. You know, just buy, selling a home and buying a new home does not exempt you uh, from the potential capital gains tax exposure. Now then, planning for that tax exposure is another matter, and that's what you do with your overall financial plan. But I've just been asked that a lot recently, and so I thought it would be good to cover what is the tax exposure when you sell your primary residence. Now, when we come back, what have retirees been up to this summer for quality of life? You need to be thinking about quality of life in retirement. You know, that's those are the years we really should be, again, enjoying the best years of your life. Many people, though, retire and kind of decay because they don't seem to have a lot of purpose. They don't have the same level of social interaction. They don't have routine. There's a lot to it, it more than just financial planning. So when we look around the landscape, what, what do we see retirees doing this past summer? And what could you maybe be thinking about as you plan for that transition? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to more living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Check us out online, broganfinancial.com. All of our podcasts, you click on radio, you can listen to them right there on the website. My next class, Income Planning and Retirement, is through Pellissippi State uh, at their Hardin Valley location. It is on Tuesday night. It is a, a one-night, two-hour class. I know we were very, very close to being completely full for that class. Um, so hopefully there's still room for just a few people if you want to. We were capped at 40 people. 
and I know we were getting really, really close, but if you want to find out more, you can call Pellissippi State at 539-7167, or you can go to my website at broganfinancial.com, click on classes, and you can click to re click a link to uh, download the syllabus and potentially register. My financial survival for retirement class through the University of Tennessee is in September. You can see all of my fall schedule at the website. What have retirees been up to this season? You know, a lot has been thrown at us this summer. Inflation, positioning our portfolios for financial storms, heading. It, we're kind of shaking our heads every time we see the news, it seems like. But we also have a life to live in retirement, and some of you have been living it to the fullest. Let's take a look at some of the activities and hobbies retirees have been interested in this summer because this is something... You know, especially if you're not retired yet, you want to be aware of because you need to create routine in those early years of retirement. I cannot tell you how important that is. You need to create routine. You need to create social interaction because those are two of the biggest things that are going to go away when you retire. And while most of our clients are thriving in retirement, we do see cases where people retire and they kind of decay. You know, that happened to my father frankly, years ago, 22, 23 years ago when he retired. And he just, his, he was kind of so much, his identity was in his job and his kids. And he just kind of didn't keep himself active and keep, didn't keep his mind engaged the way that he probably could have. And he decayed in retirement. We don't want that to happen to you. So first, what about the RV lifestyle? You know, some want to see the country, travel in retirement, but they want to do so on a budget and in a space that you can make your own. So RV traveling allows you to see the world uniquely, be on the open road, and do so in a budget-friendly way. Uh, many retirees will invest in their RV to be like a second home. It's amazing the kind of amenities you can add to these vehicles. There are RV communities to join that can supply a very fulfilling social circle. I've got several clients that have RVs and use them for several months, especially in the wintertime they go south. I have one client who has not anything, I mean, like a 40-foot boat, 40-foot cruiser. It's basically like an RV on the water. And he loves it. It was his dream to be on it more. So when he, he and his wife retired, they sold their home and they live on their boat. And they'll do that for several years. Now then activities. What about pickleball? It is really all the rage right now. Uh, you know, it's not as hard on the joints as tennis. It just uses a paddle, a wiffle ball, a shorter net, different line rules. It's almost like ping pong on a tennis court, but it's a much, much smaller part of the court. And it's just a wonderful sport that is less taxing on the body and less risk for injury. Now, many people still play tennis, certainly golf. There's a lot of community behind all of those activities. You might want to write more. Whether it's to self-publish a book or just write down your own thoughts, that's a great way to create legacy for your kids and grandkids is to write more. You may want to work part-time. And then not only does that provide fulfillment where you work on your own schedule, whether it's consulting or doing part-time work at Home Depot, it can be rewarding socially, keep you active, keep you in routine, 
And the financial implications can sometimes be very dramatic, too, because that's less money you would need to be drawing from your savings in those early years of retirement. And that can be very, very critical and can have a huge impact on your long-term financial success. So staying active, having a social network, having routine, I cannot emphasize how important that is, especially in those first couple of years of retirement. I want to thank you for joining us this week. We've discussed really a lot of things around the investment world and how you can structure things to be successful, understanding things like index investing, how do indexes actually work, talking about selling your home. Uh, you know, we've discussed really a greater community so you can live better the best years of your life your way. So thank you for tuning in this week. Next week, we're going to talk UT sports. We open the season Thursday against Ball State, the University of Tennessee football team. We'll have on Dr. Monica LeBron next week. She is Deputy AD for Championship Resources at the University of Tennessee. So thank you for tuning in this week. Thank you to Riley running engineering the board. Thank you to Jill producing the show. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7. W-O-K-I. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.